today's episode is all about big law. It is my big law 101 guide. We're going to start by explaining what big law is, giving the definitions, and also painting a picture of what it's like to work in big law. I'm going to give you some pros and cons backed by some stats. I'll share a bit more about my journey in big law and my decision to leave big law and go in-house. And then we're going to wrap up with some frequently asked questions because you guys have a lot of questions on this topic and I want to make sure that we make this a comprehensive guide. All right, so to start off, what is big law? The term big law is used in the legal profession as a way to describe the largest and most successful or most prestigious law firms. These law firms often have global offices. They certainly have offices in multiple states. And so you can think of them as these large firms, both in terms of numbers and revenues. You might have also heard of the AMLAW 100, which is another term used to describe the largest 100 firms in the country. And there's usually overlap between you know big law and AMLAW. A key differentiating factor about big law firms compared to smaller mid-sized firms is that Big law firms usually have legal services across various practice areas, so they're not usually focused on one specific niche or one specific practice area. And that's different than if you think of smaller mid-sized firms that might focus specifically on you know, personal injury, on civil cases, on criminal law. And so the idea of the big law firm is that clients can come to the firm and expect this kind of full, comprehensive legal service. And oftentimes the clients of big law firms are also large conglomerate companies that have really complicated business and legal issues. Sometimes, you know, it's a merger or an acquisition of one large company for another large company, and you really need a large team on the legal side to do all of the diligence, to make sure all the documents are in place, and to be able to get that deal through. So clients will often hire these big law firms when they have a really complicated business or legal issue, or when they're trying to do a major transaction, because it requires a large team of legal experts across Across multiple practice areas and it's something that their own in-house counsel won't be able to handle because they might not have the expertise or quite frankly sometimes you just need the machinery of a large team the large expertise the large support to be able to get that transaction done and it's not only on the corporate side big law firms offer services and litigation as well a lot of big law firms have corporate practices and litigation practices and there are also some litigation only big law firms and similar to law schools big law firms really have the prestige that not only lawyers are attracted to in terms of an employer but also clients because oftentimes clients when they're doing these major transactions they want the stamp of the big law firm they want the name behind that transaction they want that diligence done by a big law firm it adds to the value add that the big law firm has I think it's important to note that while big law is this large industry that's really influential and important in the legal industry, the percentage of law graduates that actually end up in big law is not that large. It's about 18 to 20% of graduating lawyers that end up in big law. So even if we take the high end of that 20%, 80% of graduating lawyers are not going into big law. And so while there is a lot of buzz and excitement and noise about big law, it doesn't make up the majority of the legal industry in that regard. All right, now that we have the broad strokes of big law, let's go into some of the hallmark characteristics of working in big law. So starting off strong, the starting salary for big law firms currently is $225,000. 
plus a market annual bonus of $20,000. So all in starting salary, $245,000. And then it goes all the way up to $550,000 at your eighth year level. So that's pretty substantial, right? There's not a ton of jobs that, you know, after school you are starting at a salary of $245,000 guaranteed. That's the market rate for big law firms currently. Another key trait is that you're usually working on a billable hour system, which means that you are billing your time based on the work that you do for a particular client. So you don't have, you know, a set schedule of like a nine to five or a nine to six where those are your working hours. Instead, you're working hours are whenever you need to do work for your client and you bill your time when you're doing work for that client. Many law firms, big law and otherwise, have minimum billable hour requirements. Typically in big law, it's around 2,000 hours or more sometimes every year. Now you might think, well, if you do the math, that would require about 38 hours dedicated to client working accounts. But that isn't a really accurate way of thinking about it because you're actually working longer than the time that you're billing. And that's not counting any vacation time or any other work tasks, which we also do in terms of practice building and or you know training or mentorship programs or all the other tasks, even admin tasks that you do throughout your workday. And that leads me to the next key trait, which is that big law is demanding on your time. So because your clients pay such large amounts of money for this client service, you're going to be expected to be working pretty intense hours. You're going to be expected to be on call, which we'll go into later. Intense demanding hours is just part of the job. Another key trait is that you're going to get pretty good training in terms of the number of reps you get on a particular task because you are typically working in a particular practice area where you're doing similar transactions. And so you get a wide variety of experience. Another key trait is that there is actually, um, you know, a pretty high attrition rate and most people do leave after their second or third year and pivot on to other things. So it's not super common for someone to spend their entire career in one big law firm. We'll go into each of those in more detail, especially as we get into pros and cons, but those are kind of like the key hallmark traits of working in big law. So let's go into some of the pros and cons of working in big law. The first pro, everyone's favorite, is the money. Like I said, the starting salary of $225,000, all in $245,000, is pretty significant. What's more is that you have this lockstep salary scale. So every year that you're in big law, your salary will increase based on the market rate. So unlike in other professions where maybe you get a bonus or you get a raise once you get a promotion, in big law, you don't really get a promotion. You just increase the time that you spend at the firm. You increase the year that you're at the firm. And with that, your salary will also increase. And because it's lockstep, you know the salary that you're going to get the next year if you stay at the firm another year. So that kind of like stability and security regarding your salary is a really key pro of big law. There are also some firms that will issue higher than market bonuses. So like I said, the salary scale is set out and the bonuses, the market bonuses are set out. But some firms will reward you know, high performers for their work with a bonus that is above market. All right, so financial security is a great win for, for big law. Another key pro is the prestige. So being able to have that big law name on your resume is something that you know has weight in the legal industry. 
in general, the legal industry is one that does care about prestige and cares about names, even if you look at, you know, law schools and then the law firms are the same way. So having that name, that brand name um, is a great asset to have on your resume. And you'll often hear people say, you know, if you can make it in X firm, you can make it anywhere. So that's a huge win to have on your resume. Another key pro is that you get to experience a certain caliber of work, which you might not get in other firms. So what I mean by that is because clients are coming to you with these really complex, you know, business and legal issues, these large transactions, you're getting experience to work on like really cutting edge stuff, significant market deals, significant cases. Having that experience under your belt, particularly early on in your career, is really valuable. Along the same line, the access to the caliber of attorneys that you have at these firms is also incredibly valuable. You get to learn and work with some of the you know brightest minds in the legal profession. It's not uncommon that at these big law firms you'll have really you know huge legal heavyweights right that are um, known in the industry working at those firms. So if you're able to kind of work with people who are of that caliber, it it's just a really excellent learning opportunity. I'm gonna lump the next set of pros into kind of like perks and like the gloss of big law. So this is stuff that I don't think should be um, outcome determinative of like whether you go into this profession or not, but it is like a nice to have. Many big law firms will have certain perks like a stipend every night to be able to order dinner if you're working past a certain time or you build a certain number of hours, um, you know, paying for your ride home if you're working late. Sometimes there's these really great and fun, you know, parties during the holiday season and during the summer associate program. All these things, again, that are not reasons to necessarily pick big law, but they're nice to have once you're in the profession. So those are just some of the pros of working in big law. Let's get into some of the cons. All right. The first con is just going to be the demanding hours that are expected in big law. So people often describe it as being on call 24-7. And that's because when you're in big law, you're often working on really fast-paced deals or cases, and you don't really know the pace of them. Things change very quickly. You might have one deal that's a little slow, another deal picks up. And so you're sort of always expected to be able to respond when you're needed. And that includes at night, in the middle of the night, on the weekend. Now, some of this I'm going to say depends on your practice area a little bit, depends on your firm, it depends on the deals and the cases that you're on. But generally speaking, you are supposed to be responsive and on call because that is what clients are paying for, right? And that leads me to kind of the emotional state or the mental state that you might get into, which is that it can be pretty stressful, right? When you're working in an environment like that, 83% of surveyed attorneys in big law said that they were stressed at least some of the time. In general, legal professionals are 3.6 times more likely to suffer from mental health problems than other occupations. So that's just something to keep in mind. And in big law, mental health is, you know, a hot topic and an area of improvement. Another con can be that the work might not be as interesting as you think it will be. This is particularly the case at the junior level where sometimes because you are working on such a large matter, your job might be a very small kind of administrative role depending on the group that you're in, depending on you know the firm and kind of how things are structured. 
but it's not uncommon for junior lawyers to have the experience of I don't really feel like I'm doing legal work I feel like I'm sort of just like answering emails and pushing things forward and pushing documents around so that is something that can be discouraging when you're a junior associate and can tend to get better as you get more senior and and have the experience to be able to solve more of those complicated problems that said that experience is really different depending on the group like I said in the firm I certainly had a bit of a different experience with that which I'll share later so just to keep in mind you might be working on a really significant case but your role might be a really small piece of that versus maybe at a mid-size or smaller firm where you have a larger piece of that pie and then another common complaint or con that I hear is after a couple years at a big law firm sometimes you feel like you're really not in you know passionate about what you're doing. You don't feel like you're at the center of the action. And I think that's for a number of reasons. Um, We can get into that a little bit later, but there is a sense that, you know, you're really excited in the beginning. You're learning a lot. There's this large learning curve. And then after a few years, it drops off for many reasons. And in part, people feel sort of disenchanted with the work itself. And so that's something to keep in mind. Are you really going to enjoy, you know, reviewing contracts, doing diligence, drafting contracts, reviewing cases, research, et cetera, you know, multiple years in? Okay, so now that we have kind of the pros and cons, and again, it's not an exhaustive list. These are just some of the pros and cons that you often hear. And now you might be thinking, you know, do I want to go into this? Do I not want to go into this? If you're contemplating whether to be a lawyer at all, I would say that there are some misconceptions about what it's really like to be an attorney versus kind of what's popularized or talked about. A lot of times people will say, oh, you're great at arguing. You should be an attorney. And really the tasks of an attorney, particularly a big law attorney, are quite different than just like arguing or negotiating the way that we think about it in you know popular culture. So I'll just share quickly, in my opinion, in my view, what are some of the traits that make a good big law lawyer? The first is being able to have great attention to detail. It's really important that you're like laser focused on what you're reading and that you can pick out, you know, small mistakes, even like a loose comma, uh, you know, a loose bracket, et cetera, or being able to pick out, you know, a potential issue in a ton of diligence like that level of attention to detail is something that will really set you apart in line with that I think you need to be a fast and efficient reader so you need to be able to ingest a high volume of information efficiently quickly and be able to actually organize your thoughts on what you've just read being able to digest that information synthesize it and communicate it is a huge huge trait In line with that, the communication piece is huge. So being able to articulate a complex legal idea, a a new law, a contract in a way that your client will understand is a particularly unique skill. Some of the best attorneys that I know really care about the details. So in addition to just having an attention to detail, they really care about, you know, the word in the definition and how it might be perceived. And they'll go, you know, back and forth and, and think about the different arguments and really, really care about the details. And that's part of being a zealous advocate of being, you know, a good fiduciary to your client. And this next one is less about you know, the role of a junior associate, but business development and client relations and having good business acumen is a big part as you get more senior because you are going to be sort of the client relationship manager. And you will see that, you know, that's something that partners are really good at at big law firm. 
All right, next I'm going to go into a little bit more of my own personal journey in big law and then my decision to leave and go in-house. I've shared a bunch of this in video content um, online, but I do want to share a little bit more of like my reasoning and the analysis that I went through in the event that someone is potentially thinking about making that kind of pivot. People go into big law for different reasons, right? And also leave for different reasons. For me, I went in with the intention to stay. That was like my goal as a first year associate. I really wanted to stay and, you know, potentially make partner or, um, you know, stay for as long as I could. There wasn't in my mind an idea of I'm going to do this for a few years and pivot. And I think that is a pretty common um, expectation to have. But in my case, I thought I was going to stay long term. And because I thought I was going to stay long term, I really went in, hit the ground running and tried to just like absorb as much as possible, which meant that I said yes to tasks. I, you know, took initiative to try to get new tasks. I was really trying to like work on everything, learn as much as I could. And at that time, I'd had no real concept of work-life balance. I really wasn't even concerned about that. And mind you, I went from undergrad straight to law school, straight to big law. So that was my, my trajectory. And I didn't really feel any kind of burnout at that time. I had the momentum. I was excited to be there. And so I really just like a sponge absorbed as much as I could which was great in that I'd learned a lot and I think I was able to operate at a level that allowed me to have a lot of responsibility and I didn't have the experience of a junior associate who was working on like mundane tasks. I was also a specialist in a big law firm focusing on tech and IP transactions and so I was able to do really substantive work very early on and I felt that I got incredible experience, incredible responsibility, um, which is really you know exciting at that at that level of my career. On the flip side though, because I was really saying yes to things and doing as much as I could, a few years in, around my third year, I was really noticing the impact of that. It was very hard for me to slow down because I had sort of, one, built the reputation of someone who is working a ton of hours and who is going to say yes, but also because it had become my life and I had just, it was the norm that I would work every weekend. I would work every night. Um, I had really high billable hours and that was sort of like the norm in my life. And so it was hard for me to figure out how to scale that back. The other part of it is I had really great working relationships with the people on my team. You know, the attorneys I worked with were awesome and really smart and I felt like I was learning a lot and I just had like great rapport with them. So it was kind of one of those things where like I, you make friends with the people you're working with and particularly some of the senior associates I worked with um, became like my friends. And so it felt like this was just like, you know, my life, right? And it really wasn't until the pandemic that I was forced to have a pause. It, I felt like it was a forced pause for me where the work didn't really pause. I was still really, really busy, but my life and sort of the little bit of the hamster wheel that I was on paused. And I really started to assess my life more fully and I started to assess the work I was doing as well. So separate from just like the work-life balance piece of it, I also was starting to have like a reckoning internally about is this the kind of work that I want to be doing long term? And that goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier where it's really, really hard to know what your experience is going to be like as an attorney, as a big law attorney, before you become an attorney. That's one of the sort of um, wrinkles about this profession. 
because you can't practice law until you're barred to practice law, right? You really don't get that inside experience until you get to the destination. And so here I was at the destination realizing like, I don't know if I want to be doing this type of work for the rest of my career. Internally, I felt like there were other skills and strengths that I had that could be highlighted and could be exercised elsewhere. And I kept having this experience too, where I was more interested in the business side of things. I was more interested in the product that I was drafting a contract on than the actual contract. And I I really kind of felt like, you know, my role was on the outside of the action and like the center of the action was, you know, actually building and developing the product or the service or the company and that I wasn't part of that, right? Because your role is really to do the legal aspects of the deal. And I started to think, you know, I wonder if there's a role where I could have a little bit more of that, where I still am a lawyer, but I could get closer to the business side, the action, and and honestly just build a new set of skills. And that's when I started to explore, okay, maybe there are other options besides um, just working as outside counsel where I could have a bit more of that harmony and, you know, from a skill side, but also from the work-life balance side. And it took me a while to really figure out what I might want to do. I had to do some research. I reached out to people. I reached out to my network. I did some cold emailing to try to just understand like what else is out there. And, you know, really at the time it wasn't with the intention of leaving. It was just with an intention of understanding what other options are available. And through that, I learned about a role called product counsel that is in big tech companies, uh, primarily in big tech companies, where basically you're you know, working with the product team, with the business team to build these products and services. And you're really there to provide your guidance and your advice and counsel as they're building these products. And the more I learned about the day-to-day, I thought this was like a really interesting um, new skill set that I could acquire and also was in line with my skills and interests. So, you know, after quite some time, I eventually found a role that I was super excited about. And when I got the role, it really was a moment of, okay, is this the right time to pivot? Is this the right time to exit? And so I think that obviously everyone's journey is different. And there's certainly a world in which I just stayed in big law and maybe, you know, maybe I moved to a different firm, maybe I stayed at the same firm and I tried to kind of carve back my hours and I tried to do different work. But the reality is that there's only, you know, certain things that outside counsel will do and certain things that in-house counsel will do. And so if you're more interested in a certain skill set, it makes sense that you might want to pivot at some point. And actually, you know, the attrition rate in big law is pretty high. It's like 20% as of 2022 was in 2021, it was 26%. And so it's also kind of common, you know, you, you know, so many people, I knew so many senior associates who went through, um, you know, a few years of big law and then eventually pivoted. Either they went in house or they went to another firm or some people just left law and tried something different. So it's, it, you know, once you're in it and you're a few years in, it feels really common for people to make these transitions. And so that decision I think becomes a little bit easier because you see what other paths you can take. And I know folks are going to say, well, what about the money? What about, you know, what if you, you know, have loans or things you need to think about? And I think it really is a personal calculation for everyone. It, it really depends on, you know, your unique circumstances and what you can afford to do, what you want to do. You know, it was something that I thought about and I waited until I got a role where I was, 
you know, happy about the financial side of things and also happy about the skills and, and felt that the work-life balance would be better. So, you know, until you really find a role that you're excited about, it makes sense to, you know, hold off for the right opportunity. All in all, I'm glad that I had my experience in big law. And the only thing I would really change is how I approached it a little bit, because I think I did really um, do it all in an extreme way. And I think if I could do it again, I would go into it with a little bit more of a measured approach. I would still work hard and, you know, want to get that experience in my belt, but um, I wouldn't necessarily try to be like the top biller in my group. And I, I might kind of carve a little bit more of those boundaries for myself. Okay. So I'm going to go into some FAQs, frequently asked questions that I get about big law and my experience slash just the experience in general. The first thing is like, generally are all hours bad? Do you, Does everyone have horrible hours? Like how bad are the hours? How bad are they? Everyone really wants to know, is the money worth the hours, right? That's like the, the big question. And here's what I'll say. When the majority of people in a profession are saying that the hours are intensive, when every like website is like, yes, the hours are demanding. When people who went to Big Law tell you it is intense, it is demanding, it's probably harder than you think it's going to be. And some people say, oh no, I didn't have that experience. I had a pretty good experience. I actually only worked nine to six and I barely worked weekends and I have a great, you know, when and you have some of that too. But when the majority is saying, hey, this is what you should expect, that's what I think you should listen to, right? You might be the exception. You might be the case where it's actually not super demanding for you. You're in a great group. You have like, you know, just you kind of luck out in a way. But like, I don't think you should go into any experience really assuming that you'll be the exception. You should go into it assuming you'll have the experience of the majority, right? So that's how I would think about the hours. Second question, what is the best way to get into big law? Really the best slash the easiest, the most efficient way is to go to a great law school and do well, right, at the law school and go through the, you know, interview process that is set out and go directly into big law. That's kind of like the um, most efficient way, just coming straight out of law school. That said, there are other ways. If you are not in maybe like a top 15 school, top 20 school, um, it doesn't mean that you are never going to go into big law. Sometimes people will lateral in. So they'll be at like a mid-sized firm or just a non-big law firm. And then you know, a few years in, apply to a role in a big law firm and lateral in that way. So that's an approach. And for some people, you know, if you're at a, a firm or at a school that's maybe not in that top bracket, but you are really doing excellent in terms of your schooling and your grades, that can also be an avenue. So, I mean, the most efficient way is to do the top school route and go directly, but there are other ways if that's not, you know, available to you. Another question I get a lot is, is there a better practice area or type of firm or type of work that I can do where I don't have to work those hours? And I'm just going to refer you back to question one, which is like, there might be, there are some variations, right? There are some variations. Sometimes people will say litigation is a little more consistent or funds is a little more predictable than M&A, right? There's, there are some like behaviors slash trends of certain groups um, just by the nature of the work. However, on whole, the f answer to the first question still stands that the majority of people, regardless of their practice area, have the experience of demanding hours. So that's something that you should expect regardless of the practice area that you go into. Because the truth is, if you say, okay, I'm going to go into a practice area because people say it's not as bad as practice area B, but you just happen to get in certain cases or deals or work with certain people where it is demanding, 
you can't account for all those variables and it's quite honestly just not that predictable. So I would go into it with the understanding that you'll probably have the experience of the majority. What are the exit opportunities after big law? So there's quite a few paths that you could take. If you still want to practice in private practice and you don't want to be at big law, you could pivot to, you know, a boutique firm, a mid-sized law firm, a smaller law firm. That's something that a lot of folks do, especially if you've, you know, honed a practice. Like if in tech and IP, if I wanted to move to a more boutique tech and IP firm or a firm that specializes in like a certain aspect, that's um, a great avenue that people take. In-house is obviously another avenue. In-house is such a large landscape it really encompasses so much so um there's just like you know a whole episode we could do just on the in-house experience but there are certainly other avenues you could take in-house and just in case people aren't aware in-house is just working for a company versus working for a corporate firm and then some people might just like leave the law in general go into like more of like a policy role or a compliance role that isn't based in law or you know entrepreneurship i know a number of folks who've done that really the exit opportunities it depends kind of the market at that time what you're interested in what you're looking into but i think one thing that's really helpful is if you have a general idea of maybe where you're thinking to exit do some linkedin searches do some searches of people who have kind of a similar career trajectory and then reach out to them and see what their experience was like see what they did to get to where they are Another question, kind of more of a comment that I get, is like, why does everyone hate on big law so much? Um, why does it get a bad rep? I mean, you know, that's a hard to answer question, but I will say that like there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of like, you know, hot topics, hot takes on big law. Ultimately, I think for each person, whether you go into it, whether you stay is such an individual question, really depends on your own circumstances. And I think if you're good with your reasoning you know, going into it or leaving, if you're good with it on your side, like we can block out the rest of the noise. But I will say like, there are reasons why the noise is there. Just, you know, maybe you don't have to listen to everything, listen to kind of your own compass. Okay. The last FAQ is, is it worth it? And again, I know you're gonna hate this answer, but it really does depend on your own individual circumstances. But I will say most people, Actually, particularly 71% of lawyers that were surveyed by Law 360 Pulse said that they would not switch careers if given a chance for a do-over. And I think that's what you'll hear oftentimes is like, I don't really regret it, but you know, I might do this thing differently. I might tweak that, but overall I'm happy where I am now. And yes, there may be some people who are really dissatisfied with their you know current situation and wish that they had done things differently. But I think by and large, it's like, you know, you look back and you think, wow, that was a cool experience. That was something I'm really grateful for. At least I feel that way with when I look back on my big law experience that, you know, I made great relationships. I got great experience and it was like a wild, you know, awesome ride. And I'm really glad that I am where I am now. And that was part of that journey. So as the youth say, everything is for the plot. Like it's really hard to determine how you're going to feel at the end of the road, but hopefully you come out of it thinking like you got something and it was worth it. All right. I really hope that was helpful as a guide to big law. And if there are questions about particular aspects of this, let me know and we can dive into deeper topics. We can also do a whole in-house episode if that would be helpful. I will leave you with a quote by Paula Coelho. Whatever you decide to do, make sure it makes you happy. Mm -hmm.